0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Coneyberger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Oak Breeze, Florida. And now here's Pastor Jeff Barker with this week's message from Story Point Church. My question to you this morning is very simple. Tell me what you want. What you really, really want, I'll tell you what I want. You know, that's funny that you did that because that has been running through my mind all week. Here's what's even funnier. I did that in First Baptist and I went, i tell you what you want. They're like, Aww. I go, Spice Girls, 20 years ago, don't even go there. Not really a good song. <laughs> but, but the question is, is the remains, tell me what you want. What do you really, really want? I bet many of us in this room couldn't even answer that question. I bet there are several in this room that would have to stop and go, what what do I want? I'm not really sure what I want. I wish I knew what I wanted, but I don't. And, And the problem with that is desire is where ambition comes from. Desire is where motivation comes from. Desire is where direction comes from. Without a clear desire, you don't have a clear destination. But the problem with desire is this, desire is morally neutral, which means desire in and of itself is neither good nor bad. The morality or the goodness or badness of desire really comes from the root of that desire. Said more simply, if the desire is centered in the will of God, then that desire is sanctified. Y'all talked about that didn't you? If your desire is, sanctif- is, is centered in self then that desire is not sanctified. Sanctified means set apart as holy. It means it, it's for God's glory and, 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 and to not be sanctified means it's only for us. So the question once again tell me what you want. Could you write it down this is what I want Now look, don't be too hard on yourself if you can't write it down because most of us are so consumed with life that we just go from day to day to day to day to day day and we haven't really been able to stop and think about this deeply enough. But I want you to do that this week. I want you to stop long enough to be still before the Lord and ask Him, Lord, what is my desire? What should my desire be? I'm going to give you a place to start in just a moment. But let me tell you what science or or psychologists say. Every time a preacher says that phrase, y'all are like, "Yes, that's why I came to church." Well, you know, to me this is helpful because it re, it shows us that even people outside of the faith are thinking about these things. God thought about them first, and we know that because in the Old Testament, they're almost or there are over 24 words in the Hebrew that we translate into some form of desire. In the New Testament there are over a dozen different words that are translated into desire. So desire is either a noun or a verb. It basically means that it's the object of our want or it is what we want, it's what we long for, it's what we lust after. The word epithumia is the word lust. It means a strong, insatiable desire. It's not always sexual in nature but it can be or, or, or it oftentimes is. Nevertheless, these are things that God has placed inside of us. We know this because right now, I am feeling hungry. I have a desire for food. Anybody else like that? Now everybody's going to be hungry, right? I should just flash pictures of barbecue or whatever, whatever I want you to eat for lunch. That's what I ought to show pictures of. It's kind of funny how our mind works, isn't it? I have a desire for food. That desire could be good and it could be bad. If It's it, it, good because it'll sustain me and give me energy. Bad if I eat too much and I become a glutton, right? Here's what psychologists have come up with as the 16 basic desires of every human. This was, a, this was several studies done, but uh, uh, they're cross-cultural. They're not just here in the U.S. They're in, in different countries, and it and all comes back the same. So we want, we desire power. We desire independence. We desire curiosity, learning, you know, discovering things. We desire acceptance. We desire order. You know, I I desire socks that all match, right? I I posted this week, I have like nine orphan socks. Here's the problem, I can fix that by chunking the nine orphan socks, but I really didn't fix the problem because what's gonna happen? I'm gonna find the other nine socks eventually at some point, so now I'm back where I started, right? Only Only nine, that's right. I have nine lonely socks. Was, what's strange is I have nine different kinds of socks. That's probably wrong on some level. Um, so acceptance, order, saving. That's collection, property. We, we desire honor. We desire idealism. We desire social contact. We desire family, status, vengeance. That's a sense of justice or, uh, or a sense of winning. Uh, we desire romance, eating, eating. Physical exercise and tranquility. Now, did any of those ring a bell? Isn't it true that those are basic human desires? In fact, since we're around February 14th, that is what? Valentine's Day, otherwise known as Hallmark's brilliant idea. I really don't hate Valentine's Day. I pretend like I do. I really don't. I just I believe my love should be 24-7, uh, 365 and I don't want you to tell me when I have to tell you I love you. That, that's my only beef with it, right? But Valentine's Day is a good day because it's a day we can remember to, to show our love to our special someone. Here's the problem, Valentine's Day is one of the loneliest days of the year for half of the population of the world, if not more. Why? Because there are more single people than there are married people. Singleness has eclipsed marriedness. And if you are single and you are not attached to somebody, then it's the one day that this, it, it's this glaring reminder that you do not have someone else. You are alone, right? I mean, I hate to paint such a bleak picture, but that's kind of the way it feels. But here's the thing. That feeling is not an abnormal or even an unholy or sinful feeling. It's revealing the human desire for connection with another human. And it's specifically a romantic connection to love somebody, to to do what God said to do in Genesis chapter 2. The two will be joined together and become one flesh. See, these are things that God placed inside of us that are not wrong unless it's all about self and not about Him, which brings me to the main point. Every desire we have, every one, ultimately is filled through one desire. If you get one desire right, every other desire will fall in line, maybe not perfectly, maybe not the way we want it to be, but it will fall in line because if we desire our Father in heaven, a relationship with the God who made us first, these other desires will be filled in His own purpose and in, in His own way. And to be clear, it doesn't mean that if you desire Jesus above all else, he will give you a romantic relationship. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you desire Jesus above all else, the romantic relationship part will not totally consume you the way perhaps it does at the present. God will give you his grace so that you can deal with that and work through that. God has the ability to fill every whole in our life let me tell you why just this past week I think it was a Friday night I was sitting at the table we had some friends over we, we were eating and I looked up so I, I was my kitchens here I, I usually sit back here by the back wall and I look towards the main part of the house and there's a giant 12-foot hole uh, that, that moves from the, the kitchen and dining room into the living area and while the conversation at the table was going on, I took a little trip into Jeffreyland. Jeffreyland is that imaginary place in my head where I just think about things and I can't help it. I just take these trips. So I went into Jeffreyland and I started thinking, you know, nobody else in this room can see behind that sheetrock, but I can. Nobody else knows that there were two 2x12s nailed together with a piece of OSB in between to make the header. And then there's triple stud on one side and a quadruple stud on the other. Nobody else knows the metal ties I had to put down coming up from the bottoms into the concrete and up over the top top to hold it all together. And nobody else knows where the joints are. Nobody else knows all that's behind the trim. And I said, if anybody wants to mess with this house, to fix this house, to work on this house, they need to come see me. Why? Because I built it. And in that moment, no joke, God spoke to my heart and he said, that's exactly the point of desiring me first. When you desire other things over a desire for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're desiring inferiority, inferior as opposed to the perfect. And it's difficult because our hearts, according to Tim Keller, our hearts are idol factories. They're just pumping out idols left and right. Idol, an idol is anything that is bigger than your relationship with God. An idol is anything on the throne of your heart besides the Lordship of Christ. And so in 1 Peter, Peter is writing to the church that is persecuted and suffering and struggling. He's writing this letter to them and he's essentially saying, hold on, don't give up, don't lose heart, keep going, uh, 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 don't, don't lose the faith. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, since Christ also suffered in the flesh, that's why the Bible tells us we don't have a high priest who is unsympathetic with our weakness, but he in every way was tempted just as we are. That's why when, when Kevin was talking about Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, he was tempted not just three times, but he was tempted all 40 days and all 40 nights. We just have a peek into three of them. He is a, a mediator that understands our position. He understands our struggles. He understands the, the difficulty. And so Peter is reminding the people of God, he said, since Jesus suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same understanding. What understanding? The understanding is this have, having the same heart as Jesus had. Jesus' only purpose in life was to glorify the Father. That's all he wanted. He didn't care about his own ego. He didn't care about his own fame. He didn't care about changing lives. Ultimately, I mean he, he he wanted lives changed, but his ultimate concern was the glory of his father. He said it himself, I don't do what I want to do. I only do what my father tells me to do. And so he continues. He says, Because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. Listen, Christianity by definition. In other words, the author of Christianity, Jesus Christ himself, got to set the standard for the way you and I were to live. And that is that we are to live a radical life committed to the lordship of Christ. To be a Christian the way the Bible says to be a Christian is to have one singular purpose, and that is the glory of God. We reveal the glory of God by doing the will of God. And so, when when Peter says that we are... are, are, uh, Because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin, he's speaking of a reality in a believer's life. The reality is this, we will still wrestle with sin, but sin has no more hold on us. Sin has no claim to your life if you're a follower of Jesus. You haven't just become, been a good man that was made better, and you were not a bad man made good. You were a dead man raised to life. And because of that, you have been transformed. The scripture tells us do, uh, that, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So when the Bible says that that sin has no longer any uh, hold on you, that, that you are done with sin, it doesn't mean that you're not going to wrestle with the flesh. It means that it has no claim on you. You don't have to sin. You don't have to be disobedient. You don't have to have other idols. Jesus has changed you. There's been a transformation. The word transformation is understood as a metamorphosis. It's it's an ugly uh, caterpillar becoming a beautiful butterfly. They don't look anything alike. One was ugly, one is beautiful. That's what the gospel does if you have not been transformed by the gospel then you haven't yet found Jesus it is impossible to come face to face with Jesus and not be transformed now listen that transformor- transformation is not instant now you're standing before God is instant when you come to Christ but the sanctification of your life the transformation of the outward of you is is a process, but the inside of you changes the moment you belong to Christ. God is not just replacing parts. He's He's not just giving you a new hip. Everything else is good. You just have a little trouble with the hip. He's not just giving you a couple valves. He's giving you a completely new you. And he's placing his spirit inside of you to govern and to drive and to guide everything left in your life. Does this make sense? Now you say that's pretty radical. Yes. The gospel is by definition radical. Think about it. Jesus came, lived a perfect sinless life. He willingly gave himself to be hung upon a cross with the 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 spikes through the bones in his wrist and through the bones in his feet, hung on a cross to suffocate and die. And the weight of the sin of the world was upon his shoulders. And when he cried out, Father, it is finished, he was crying out, I have canceled the penalty of sin and death forever so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Your standing and your position in Christ is that you are the righteousness of God. or the, The righteousness of Christ, I guess, has been put... So when you stand before God, you stand before Him righteous. Here's another thing. The sin in your life, the moment you're born again, is forgiven. But it's not that that past sin was forgiven. It was but it was also the present sin and the future sin that you will ever ever commit. See what I'm afraid of is that we look at our lives in a way that's kind of kind of segmented and compartmentalized and we're 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 trying to to do our life without understanding who we are. The moment you're born again everything in your life is forgiven because you become the righteousness of God in Christ. You say, "Well, why then in John 1, not First John 1:9? We say, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us. No, no, no. Your standing doesn't change when you sin. Your relationship changes. So why we confess our sin to God and ask for forgiveness is not for Him to forgive us. We're already forgiven. It's so that we can be made right with Him in terms of our relationship because we're the ones who have backed away. We're the ones who have moved far away from God." You know when you've done something wrong in a relationship, right? And you know the awkwardness and the strangeness. And you know that it's always awkward and strange until you come face to face and say, this is what I did, this is what you did, are we good, right? That's what happens when we confess our sin to God. But in terms of our standing, we were forgiven the moment that we were born again. Because we were forgiven at that point we no longer have to be slaves to sin. I'm, I, 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 I wish that somehow we were to really get this so we could stand up and say, No more. I don't have to do that. I don't have to think that. I am not condemned any longer. I am a child of the living God. My name has been changed to reflect His name. And so Peter is telling this this struggling church that we're to live the remaining time in the flesh no longer for human desires because we're dead to sin but rather for the will of God. So what is it that you desire? One thing is what we need to desire. As the chief desire that is, we need to desire Jesus. I'm not, I'm, I didn't say we need to desire church. Although, if you desire Jesus, you're going to desire the body of Christ. This whole thing of, well, I love Jesus, I don't love his church. That's like saying, I like you, I don't like your wife. I like you, but I don't like your kids. No, you cannot separate the people of God from God. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have said, they are the bride that I'm coming back for, right? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big deal, you know. This this whole idea of of wanting to I want to I want to I want to serve God, but I just don't want to just want to deal with other Christians. Oh, really? So you alone are all you need to do to do life and to serve Jesus. It's not like an ego issue to me. I, I tell you what, you do life without the people of God and see how, far, how long that takes you, how far that takes you. Why? Because you nor me nor any of us are strong enough, big enough, wise enough, good enough. Here's why. You're not the body, you're a part of the body. A part, and I'm a part, a, I can't even get small enough how part of part you are, but here's the cool part. You don't have to be everything in the body because the rest of us. Fill in the gaps for you. That's the way God designed it. There's a whole other sermon there. We won't go there. Psalm 42. This is the prayer that, that the psalmist sings, prays. This is the, 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 the outflow of his heart. And this is the prayer that I hope will become your prayer, what you will meditate on day and night throughout this week. Psalm 42, verse 1 says, As a deer longs for flowing streams of water, so I long for you, O God. Your version might say this, As a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. It says, I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? You ever notice how we want to get away with this little God's stuff is possible, just to kind of keep us in the good, right? If your question is, how little of Jesus can I have and still live a good life, if, if that's your question, you're asking the wrong question. You're not even in the same ballpark. Matter of fact, you're not even on the same, on the same continent. Because when you see the face of Christ, everything is affected. When you truly have an encounter with Christ, your language is affected, your desires are affected, your thoughts are affected, and the closer you get to Him, the more inside of you wants to reflect who He is. Why? Because that's how you were made. You were made in the image of God to reflect His glory in every single way. And when you have the power of of the gospel transform your life, the things that don't look like Him, because you're desiring to look like Him and because you're desiring to do His will, you're constantly moving towards yielding those things to Him. So the psalmist says, I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? This is the psalm of a man who desires God but is in the midst of life. He's got things that he has to cook. He has bedrooms he has to clean. He's got toilets he has to sanitize. He has cars he has to get oil changed for. He has a business or a job that he has to constantly produce things for. He's got kids who are going to baseball, and to football, and to soccer. He's got got, uh, responsibilities with parents, and with just all these things in life. And he's going, you know, Life is just tough. My tears have been my food. My soul longs for you. But the reality of where I am, man, this is just tough. And then in verse 4, he says, I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Here's a truth to grab a hold of. In your own life have you been more desiring of the presence of God when things were good when you had plenty of money in the bank when you had plenty of food on the table when peace in relationships when your job was going fine have you really did you really seek out the heart of God and the face of God when things were good or when things were struggling, the bank account wasn't so good, the, the family life wasn't so smooth, the, the job wasn't so, so easy, and you know, the, the trials... and. Tr- In which place did you pursue God the most? Over here, right? Why? Because over here, we became self-sufficient. Over here, we forgot, or we tend to forget, that we need Him, because things are good. It's over here when things are tough that we go, man, I really need some help. I can't do this on my own. I can't figure this out. Here's what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is saying this, and this is the truth. If we don't desire God over here, then when we desire God here, all he is is being used by us to fix a problem. We're not desiring God. We're desiring deliverance from God, so that we can get back over here to our own lives, doing things our own way, having our own plans being made. But when you desire thank God here, when your heart is towards Him here, when you move into the struggle, onto the struggle bus, when you move over onto the struggle bus, what sustains you is the fact that you knew God in the good times, and so you say to yourself, I remember when God was good. I remember when he was faithful. I remember when I sought after him, and I long for that again. And God gives you strength and courage in the struggle because of the desire you had when it was good. Does that make sense? So I ask you this question. Tell me what you want. What do you really, really want? Here's the, here's the linchpin for the whole, or here's the, here's the beautiful surprise, the, the black swan. If you know what that means, the black swan is that, that one thing that, that kind of ties everything together. It's the, it, it, it's the unicorn, if you will, right? Here it is. When you desire Jesus above all else, when that becomes the passion of your heart, and you truly long for Him more than you long for everything else, everything else is sanctified. Everything. Even the secular becomes sanctified. Why? Because you're no longer saying, I want to do this because of me. You're saying, I want to do this because it brings glory to God. I want to go to work because in my work I can bring glory to God. In my work I can have relationships and friendships that will help people see that God is worth my life. In my hobbies I can do them and I can find joy in them because through those hobbies I'm bringing glory to God. I never feel guilty about fishing. And I never feel guilty about hunting. You want to know why? Because as God is my witness, all of those things fall under the lordship of Christ in my life. Because I've seen over and over and over how even time on a fishing boat can be a time to celebrate and to proclaim the glory of God. Something I see reminds me of a verse and I say, wow, so that's what that verse means. A conversation with another believer who's struggling. We're out in a place where we can have some quiet time together with nothing to distract us except maybe a giant humongous fish, but that's okay. Just a week or so ago, I was, I was sitting in a tree stand trying to finish up the deer season and I was listening to the stream of water flowing back in, in, in the creek, back up in the in the thick part. And I felt my eyes going and I said to myself, the deer are safe tonight because I'm about to go to sleep. But there was a restful, peaceful, it was an opportunity. So even the secular becomes sacred. It's sanctified when Jesus is your sole desire. It gets even better. But wait, there's more. When you desire business, when you desire to grow your business or to, 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 to... to, to, to rise up in the, the ladder of, of you know uh, administration or whatever, or have more clients or whatever, that is not sinful if it's rooted in a desire to bring honor and glory to Jesus. In fact, I would argue this. Since you are yielded to the will of God, since you are saying, God, whatever you want is what I want, then what God does is He places His desires inside of us so that we will go forth and be fruitful and multiply. Not just with kids, but with, with life. Multiplying relationships, multiplying influence, all of those things. Y'all with me? You hear me on this? So the goal is to live Psalm 42 verses 1 through 4. How do you do that? Very simply. I'm out of time. Number one. In order to live with Jesus as your sole main desire, you must be born again. You cannot desire God unless God quickens your spirit, unless God first calls your name. How do we know that? Because the Bible says that you were dead in your sin and transgression. The Bible says there's no one who searches after God. No one. Last I checked, you and me are no one. The only way for you to desire God is for God to call your name to bring you into a relationship with Himself. Now, look, look there's all kind. Of, most of all of us would agree on that. Most of all of us would agree that at some point we're born again. It's that process in here that, that theologians differ, right? You got all, you, you got some, uh, a little bit of, of, of opinion in here, or not opinion, but difference in how it happens. I'm not reformed in my theology, so I think that we respond to the call of the gospel in our lives, and because he's calling us, we respond to that, and he seals uh, our salvation with his spirit. That's the way I think it works. Others will say that you have no choice, but when he calls your name, you're, you're, you're ushered into his kingdom, and, and you just, you're just doing what he calls you to do. Either way, it works. We just don't want to miss that we've got to go from A to B. Amen? Amen. So you work out that on your own, but make sure you've gone from A to B. Make sure you've been born again. If you're not born again, you can't desire God. But once you're born again, then that next step is this. You need to ask. Remember Thomas? Thomas is known, the Apostle Thomas, he's known as Doubting Thomas. And he said these, things. He said these words. He said, Lord, I believe, but, but help my unbelief. He also said, "Lord, unless I, or not, Lord," he said to the disciples, "Unless I see the th- the holes in his wrists, unless I put my finger, and touch him, I'm not going to believe." The idea was he wanted something that he could not make himself do. Do you ever feel like that with desire, Lord? I want to want you, but I don't. I don't know how to make myself want you. You ask. You lay it all on the table and you say, God, I'm asking you to change my heart. and God, I'm asking you to do whatever you need to do in my life. Take away what needs to be taken away. Confront me with what I need to be confronted with. Uh, Change me and make me desire you. That is a prayer that God will always answer. Always. So you ask him. You're born again. You ask him. And then the third thing is this. What you feed is what you will grow. See, a lot of times we're like what Jesus said. You people honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. We say we want something, but our actions don't match it. Like, I can say I want to be a marathon runner, but if I sit around eating donuts all day, you're going to know that I'm just a liar. Or I'm I'm, I'm just living on a pipe dream, right? No, if I want to do something, I have to actually say, I want that... And so I'm going to do the things that lead to that. Amen? If I want to draw near to God, if I want to desire God, I've got to feed myself things that will bring forth that desire. It's easy. God's word. It's easy. Time with God's people. It's easy filling our heads and our hearts with things that are holy rather than things that are unholy. I say it's easy. It's really just simple. It's not easy. Why? Because you've got the flesh over here, like this giant Pac-Man, right? Just just wants to to, to consume us, and we're always running from the flesh. Here's the last thing. So we're born again. We ask God. We, we feed the things in our life that will grow faith, not go against it. And by the way, there's a commitment issue there. We have to actually commit to this. You can't just put your name on a card. You can't just, you know, cry and say a prayer and then walk out these doors and go, okay, I'm good. No, it doesn't work. This is not a Ronco set it and forget it kind of a deal. This is a, if you want to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And believe me, you got to take up your cross every single day. But you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that the more I pick up the cross, the lighter the cross becomes. Why? Because I'm using the muscles that it takes. It's hard at first, but it gets easier and easier and easier Because not only am I building the the muscles, building the faith, but I'm also realizing that it's worth the cost. Memorizing Scripture, that's one of the best ways. The last thing is this. The Bible says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be, there's the word again, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your heart will be dictated... By what your mind thinks on you will love what you think on and you will think on what's in the heart Colossians 3 tells us this set your hearts and your minds not on earthly things but on things above it is an intentional decision to love and follow Jesus so tell me what you want what do you really, really want? You want to know what you want? Measure your current life. Just do a measurement. Where do you spend or how do you spend your time? And just, just kind of chart it out. You spend the majority of your time doing what? What do you think about? When you wake up in the morning, what's your first thought? When you go to bed at night, what's your first thought? When you have some free time and your mind just to wander. Yeah, some of y'all are like, what? What's that? I've never heard of that before. When you have that, that free space in your head, where does your mind go to? When you're in a crowd of people, what's your first thought? Oh, I'm afraid. Ooh, I got to get out of this. COVID's going to kill me. Or is it, man, there's a lot of lost people here that need Jesus. Where you think. That will, that will give you a clue of what you desire. Here's one we don't like to talk about. What do you spend your money on? How much you spend on Netflix? How much do you spend on Prime? How much do you spend on Amazon? How much do you spend on electricity? How much do you spend on entertainment? How much do you spend on eating out for dinner? How much do you spend on God? I don't know that number for you. I know the number for us. Here's the thing we think we're doing good sometimes by saying okay God I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you (laughs) we like to tip God you know God you've been good to me today I'm gonna give you a little tip here's two bucks thanks thanks for being a good God could you imagine a waiter, waiter or waitress if after serving you a fine meal at the district I've heard good stuff about that place. A couple of my friends have gone. I think we're going to go. Hmm? we got a gift card, so we're going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine the district? It's like a fancy schmancy steakhouse, right? I mean, like they have like 50 bucks for a steak. We're talking like this is, this is high class stuff, right? Could you imagine giving the waiter two bucks? Where's like... You just, you just bought $200 worth of food. You're giving me two bucks. I'll bet you that waiter's going to come back and give you your $2 back and some tips. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? Imagine the offense to the waiter if that was your action. Not one of us in this room would stiff a waiter at the district. None of us. We do that to God all the time. This is not about money. This is about heart. This is about desire. But you know what you desire by what you do with your life. And, oh, i got to stop. It's backwards, folks. When you finally figure this out, you're going you're to open up into a world that is totally different and totally great because everything is sanctified when Jesus is first. He actually said it this way, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and some of these things, no, and most of these things, no, and all of these things will be added unto you. I I can't convince you of this my prayer before this day was God only you only you can change hearts but I can tell you this he is worth it he is worth it don't waste your life don't sell yourself to unimportant non meaningful things. Give yourself fully to the glory of God, and watch what God does. You want to live your best life? Surrender it all to Jesus, and you will. Will you close your eyes and bow your head? I know it's like drinking from a fire hose this morning. But the bottom line is this, do you know Jesus? Do you desire Jesus? This morning, if you've never placed your faith in Him, it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of works. If you're watching by way of TV, if you're watching online, right now, will you trust Jesus Christ? This morning, if your desire is for everything but, or if your desire for everything is more than your desire for Jesus, would you simply begin by asking God, God, change my heart. I'm going to pray, and then musicians are going to lead us in a time of decision. This is your opportunity to respond to Him. Father in heaven, I praise you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you because you own everything. I praise you because you give us the desires of our heart. And I praise you because when we are fully surrendered to you, we see see the miraculous more often than not. God, we see you working in our lives, and we have the hope of the gospel in every situation. Lord, I pray that my words today would be translated into the hearts of your people in a way that takes root. I pray, God, that that your word will take root and change us. I pray that they would soften us, and I pray that we would yield to you. And I ask this for the glory of your name. The name above every other name. The name of Jesus. Amen.